0: welcome to another edition of the litigation psychology podcast brought to you by courtroom sciences i am dr bill Kanaski here with our very special guest from south florida mr frank ramos frank how are things down uh in the southern part of the sunshine state things are great thanks so much for having me today i really appreciate it oh this is going to be fun uh i've been i've known who you are you know who i am we haven't really had a lot of FaceTime, so this is going to be really fun but uh, I've been following you uh, on your websites and on LinkedIn and you're very, very active. And the one thing that stuck out to me immediately was your, your dedication to mentorship, not just of attorneys, but I just think professionals in general. Can you kind of just tell me where, where did that spark come from? Because not a lot of attorneys um, are so active like you uh, in, the, in that part of the, uh, in the industry. You know, um,
1: very early on, I started writing for young lawyers when I was still very much a young lawyer around three or four years out, because I was going through sort of a period of imposter syndrome. I didn't know if I really knew what I was doing, and I felt kind of like a fraud, actually. And so I started reducing my different knowledge bases to various articles, how-to pieces, basically, you know, the 10 steps of this, uh, how to argue a hearing, how to prepare an auditorium, very basic things. But it was more sort of for my own benefit than for anyone else's. Mm-hmm. And I started getting those articles published and I got some really positive response from a lot of young lawyers and even law students. And I've sort of done that on and off for most of my professional career, uh, taking some breaks from it due to a variety of reasons. But the last, I want to say five years, I've been writing uh, consistently to, to that audience and I really enjoy it.
0: That's, that's outstanding. Now, I went on your... Um... Miami mentor.com a great website oh, thank it really you. really outlines a lot of the things that you do can you talk uh, a little bit uh, about your I found this uh, your is it called coffee chats your coffee chats yes that's right that's right tell, tell me about that because I find this to be fascinating and I've never seen that before and it seems a very uh, non-threatening way to kind of sit down with somebody talk about career stuff and just kind of help them out right
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what I do, and obviously as of late, because of the pandemic, I haven't done much of, although I do have sort of a coffee place in my own office here, um, is that I'll invite young lawyers or law students Uh, to reach out to me on my website or to email me or call me and I'll set up a a coffee meet. Uh, You know, these days it's more my office. Before it was at a coffee shop right across the street for our offices. And we would meet for not very long, about a half hour. And I'd try to answer whatever questions they had. And I found it was a lot of the same questions and a lot of the same issues. And there's a lot of similarity between what young lawyers wanted to know, what law students wanted to know. And um, often, Having talked to so many of them and spoken to so many of them, I was able to sort of give them a sort of streamlined answers to many of their questions and
0: concerns. That's that's outstanding and really good one-on-one time. Um, now, you and I have uh, a couple things in common. One of them is definitely, uh, you're, it sounds like you're a prolific speaker and, and writer. Um as far as uh and we have a pretty national audience which has been uh, pretty cool can you talk about some of the areas that you you like to speak on particularly whether it be corporate legal departments or or law firms uh where you can get in front of um of a crowd and, and talk about some of your professional experiences and maybe help like you said some uh, uh those younger attorneys develop You know,
1: I'll talk about professional skill sets, both soft and hard skills, pre-trial and trial skills. I'll also talk about some of the soft skills we have in terms of public speaking and writing. I enjoy talking about leadership mentoring. I enjoy talking about uh, diversity. You know, I I talk on a variety of issues. Uh, Having spend so much time just thinking about these things uh, sort of from the law firm management side and having been involved in various bar associations over the years and various leadership roles, you kind of start thinking about these larger issues and in the process of doing that, you kind of evaluate them and you start wanting to talk and, and share your own ideas about them. So. Uh, I find myself, especially during the pandemic, talking a lot about social media, talking a lot about marketing online, talking about how to maintain our own sanity and health and (laughs) well-being, sort of being isolated from one another. So there's a lot of mindfulness discussions happening lately. Um, And I I think a lot of law firms are trying to figure out what the next step is going to be in terms of technology, because technology is really taking off. we seem to be last, last adapters in the legal field. And uh, this pandemic really pushed us into a new orbit. And uh, I don't think we're gonna, we're not walking back from that. So we're gonna have to really uh, embrace that wholeheartedly.
0: That's uh, yeah. And I have a follow-up question on that, but the first follow-up question is something interesting. You said is, um, the ability to market online. I know that you're very active uh, on LinkedIn and that seems to be the most popular, I think, professional um, networking uh, website. I know you're very, very active. So I'm seeing you every day on there. What, I guess, what are some tips or top tips or guidance you would give, um, say that younger attorney who's trying to establish their reputation and they want to they want to post online. I guess, what are some of the do's and maybe even better, what are some of the don'ts when you're posting things? I have an idea. No politics, no religion. On your- <laughs> Save that very for Facebook.
1: Very fair. But what do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think some suggestions is that try to find a topic that you're comfortable writing about, one or two very large and broad topics so you're not going to run out of steam early on. And typically it's a practice area that you really enjoy or that you want to pursue or you're pursuing now and ultimately want to be considered an expert in that area. Uh, or maybe it's just sort of you know general tips like I do. Maybe you really like to talk about trials. There's some, a lot of trial lawyers like to talk about jury selection and openings and closings and what you do in terms of picking a jury and talking to witnesses and so forth. There's some lawyers who love to talk about their specific practice or cybersecurity or uh, negligent security or whatever it might be, you know, whatever the issue uh, they may have and then kind of dive deep. Remember that LinkedIn, you're limited to 1,300 characters per post. Um, <laughs> it's not very much. A few sentences, a couple of paragraphs. So if you did like an article, for example, on a topic you really enjoyed writing about, or you gave a presentation, had 20 slides in your slide deck, you probably have enough information there for about two weeks worth of posts if you space it out properly. So that's probably a good way to start. You know, Find something that you can repurpose, first and foremost, and just get used to and acclimated to the platform and just try it out and after a couple of weeks of posting regularly, preferably daily, you're gonna find it becomes very second nature and you're just naturally gonna find the time to post. And, and it's also gonna get past that fear factor. If you're posting on a regular basis, you'll find that, oh, you know, people like it, they share it, they comment on it. You see the views increasing over a period of time. And that's what give you the confidence you need to keep posting and keep sharing.
0: Yeah, I, I tell you, um, and I've, I've talked to people back channel uh, on this topic and, uh, and again, I'm not afraid to say it. Um, you have this kind of cancel culture issue going on out there, and I think a lot of professionals are terrified to post things. Um, and I, you know, before I hit I hit that submit button, I make sure I read it 14 times, <laughs> um, and so I'm trying to be really careful with that. But I think I think you're right. I think um, particularly younger attorneys um, have great opportunities to essentially sell themselves get out there and have um you know potential clients or colleagues you know read about you know their professional endeavors i think that's terrific what um what is your experience been with um and i'm asking this to everybody because i've been getting very different answers your experience and opinion of the virtual based usually zoom or webex um mediations uh depositions deposition preparations uh uh maybe you've had some meetings with the court virtually how has that experience been for you because i've heard some pretty mixed reviews uh
1: you know it's it depends it really depends different people have had different experiences with it um I've I've seen it all over the place. Some people have had a very positive experiences with it. Some had some very negative experiences with it. I haven't experienced too much of it to be honest. Um, so most of the information I have is anecdotal, and it kind of runs the gamut.
0: Yeah, it's uh, between the uh, you know connectivity issues, bandwidth, um, but I think there's this value of being in the same room with with somebody when you're, uh, particularly if you're in a, say, a a, a mediation setting or a, or a deposition setting. Um, I think I'd like to hear your opinion on this. I think the virtual stuff to an extent is here to stay because I think the clients are experiencing a incredible, maybe staggering amount of cost savings on, on travel. And I think it's a mixed bag for me because yeah, I'm not traveling as much. I've been able to do quite a bit virtually, um, but I kind of miss traveling. <laughs> I kind of like miss right being in the being in the same uh, room with people. And the same thing with uh, webinars and CLEs; they've all been virtual for this point. So I'm I'm really hoping that uh, uh, sometime soon we can get back to the live in person on stage seminars. I think that will be, I think that will be fun. Let's talk about attorney training. Um, This is something that, when you look across the defense bar versus the plaintiff bar, uh, I see some very big differences here. Um, Obviously, the number one area here: reptile training. Number one, and then number two, which is not a close second, it's making its way slowly uh, called Trojan horse. These are, yes, that's right. Yeah, these are two very intensive um, and expensive training programs for plaintiff attorneys that are ta- are being fully taken advantage of. And um, I haven't really seen the defense bar not even come close to equaling that. W- what is your opinion on um, defense attorney training? Should that be done in-house? Meaning you have your older, more experienced folks uh, training the younger folks? Or is this something kind of like reptile should be more on a national level that maybe DRI or something runs? What do you think would be the best thing for the defense bar here?
1: You know, I think I agree that it should be more broad-based. And I think the future of training, not just in the defense side, but overall, is going to be more virtual-based because I think younger lawyers interact better online. And I think you're going to see a shift in movement to teach them online through modules, through Q's and A's through short tests and so forth. And there are some people already in that space testing that out mm-hmm. and with some success, some more than others. And I think if you fast forward five years from now, you're going to have sort of a almost like a streaming service by at least several uh, of the providers in that uh, legal tech area, training lawyers both on defense and plaintiff side, everything from writing to speaking to taking depositions, trials, and so forth. And uh, so I think. Now that we've learned everything that online programming has to offer. Um, and you're right. There are been some issues yeah. in terms of connectivity and relationships and just being able to not see somebody face to face. But there is some value to that. And people are cutting back on expenses, including law firms. And, and a lot of law firms are, are circumspect to send their young people away and spend the money yeah. on training and whatever else it may be. And so, I I, I, I kind of see a future where as we are now here on this call I see a future where you know a young lawyer can plug in look at a library uh, videos or conversations or podcasts then take some tests maybe do some live interactive stuff and come out the other end much better than they were when they started
0: that's that's great stuff and uh, I think desperately needed um, um, too. Um, Again, back on this theme of career development for attorneys. Um, Most of the clients I work with um, are veteran attorneys who are partners at both major law firms, um, smaller boutique litigation law firms. And boy, do I hear a lot of grumbling. And the grumbling (laughs) I hear is, I can't keep a damn associate to save my life. These guys, if they don't get what they want, they bounce around these other law firms and whatever happened to the days where you pay your dues and you work (laughs) your way to the top. What is is some of your advice and guidance? Because I have seen the associates of this current generation bounce around to lateral positions more than I've seen in the generation before them. Um, That's kind of a disturbing trend because there's a lack of consistency for clients and obviously it's a headache for the law firm but then if you do invest time and training into that person then you lose them that's a that's kind of a triple whammy against the law firm what what is your um thoughts um on that because i do see a lot of this bouncing around i think when
1: law firms are looking to retain associates they need to find associates that share their values and shares their vision and their mission. And part of the interview process, if you go beyond, you know, what grades you got and how you did in law review and and those issues of uh, grit and perseverance and, you know, sticking to a project over a long period of time. And, you know, somebody who has been working out for the last 10 years or somebody who uh, is on some long-term project, you know, find somebody who is not a foreigner to, rolling up their sleeves and doing something over a long period of time. And so I I think the interview process is somewhat broken. And I think people are too often chasing what they perceive to be the best candidate. And that best candidate may be looking for greener pasture sooner than later. And sometimes firms are better suited to find somebody who may not, in their own opinion, be as qualified, certainly don't have the same credentials, but are much more likely to stick around for 5, 10, 15 years. And ultimately, you're and you're right, there's a huge investment, and firms yeah. can't invest in their, in their associates. They have to uh, make sure that. Whatever person they bring out to their team knows their processes, knows how they approach their litigation, know what the client's expectations are and how to meet them. You know, it's kind of that old joke, sort of, you know, the uh, CFO asks the CEO, you know, what if we uh, train uh, our people and they leave? And the CEO says, what if we don't and they stay? You know, you can't can't ignore that. You know, you, you just have to make the investment. and a lot of it is just who the person is. You know, the person is who it is. And I think there's a certain insight that I think older generations may not appreciate. Um, You know, think about people who came out into the marketplace from around 2009 or 2010, yeah. uh, right at the end of that uh, period, and uh, you know, of a certain age now that they now they've gone through two cycles. Now they've gone through that period. They've gone through the COVID period. Uh, a lot of them are probably you know some of them were probably laid off. Some of them couldn't find a job in the first place, and so they're probably not really of the mind frame that they want to feel that loyal. Because a lot of people have been loyal to them. Uh, yeah. You know, they came from families where their parents may have been laid off uh they came from families where their entire life savings were gone they came from families where they lost their homes um and you know their parents had worked for 20 or 30 years at a company and suddenly they weren't working there anymore and those are their experiences and those are the way they feel so i think yes that is a problem and that's an issue but again you have to understand
0: their vantage point their perspective Absolutely. All right. Final question of the podcast. So I'm, let's just say I'm a new graduate from ABC Law School, and I'm 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 doing a coffee chat with you. And I say, well, Frank, you know, I got two offers. I got an offer from big, big, big law firm, and man, they have offices all over the country. But then I've got a couple offers from these more boutique, you know, these smaller um, uh, uh, law firms. What type of guidance or pointers or pros and cons would you give uh, a younger uh, about a uh, kind of new new grad about the kind of I guess kind of the pros and cons of the big large firm versus maybe the smaller boutique firm that has less people but maybe more um, you know intimate um, you know friendships and and professional camaraderie versus the real big time. What do you, what do you say to that? You know I, I try to find a lawyer
1: in the area you want to practice in that you believe will be a good mentor to you, whether in a big or small firm, and that is committed to mentoring. And you'll get a sense from a firm's website and from the information you find online, whether or not a firm is committed to their yarn associates. And I don't think it really matters what firm size there is, but I I do agree that sometimes some smaller firms have more sense of collegiality and are more focused on sort of the old school apprenticeship style. But Try to find what, you, what you're trying to really find is one lawyer that you're going to work with, male or female, irrespective of their levels of experience, who's going to be committed to your career and help you along as you help the firm along. Uh, and that's hard, obviously. that's uh, It's yeah. hard to try to figure that out, obviously. Uh, and just as the firm needs to figure out whether you're going to be committed and be willing to stay there long-term Yarn lawyers need to find out if the firm is committed to them and their progress and their development and you know it's a two-way street and each side needs to feel out the other as to how the other side going to help them as they help the other
0: side excellent well frank ramos thank you so much for being on the podcast congratulations on all of your success and uh uh, a big thank you. I'd love to give a speech with you someday. I'm sure we can tackle <laughs> some of these issues together, but I know that the the legal industry is very thankful for all of your efforts for attorney mentorship and development. So thanks uh, so much for being on the show. And we'd of love course, to Of course, I've had the pleasure
1: back. to hear you speak on the Reptile Theory several times. I've always enjoyed those presentations.
0: Well, the Reptile is going to be around here for a while. So That's but right. again, again, thank you so much. And thank you everybody for joining the Litigation Psychology Podcast. We'll see you next time.